If you got your Bible, go ahead and uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're continuing this sermon series today called Simple Words uh, that is this amazing story. And uh, it's this idea, this simple word, Messiah. And I don't know if about you, I grew up hearing that word all the time. I would see it written in places, uh, you know, highlighted around Christmas time, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And I kind of understood that related to Jesus, but I don't know that I fully knew what all that word meant. And last week we kind of laid the groundwork that the, the word Messiah actually, it's almost like a verb. It means to anoint something, uh, to give it a special purpose and a special meaning. And for a person to be called Messiah, it literally meant they were coming into this world with a special purpose, a unique purpose and a unique meaning to impact culture and to impact the world. And from a Hebrew perspective, when they talked about Messiah, it was even culturally within their nation bringing hope and joy and peace and restoration back to the nation of Israel. And uh, this idea that when people would see each other and maybe they were having a down day, instead of just saying, I hope things get better, they would say to each other, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. It was like a way to, to put hope back into somebody's life. And last week we looked at this idea of the concept of the Messiah, that this is not just some man who is going to be born, who's going to do some good things. It was literally somebody who was coming that was fully God and fully man in one unit coming to bring salvation for mankind. This idea that something beyond us, something outside of the realm of understanding, was coming physically to our world to make an impact into our lives. Fully God, fully human, but fully God as well. Fully divine. He was both and is this incredible concept. And today we're going to move now from understanding the concept of Messiah to understanding, you know, we've heard about Jesus and this. What is his character like? What is he going to do? What is he going to be when he's here? So if somebody is coming then what's he going to do when he gets here? And this is what the next part of Isaiah talks about. So if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 9, 6, uh, I want to read this passage to you, and it says to this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's what we talked about last week. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a kind of in-depth look at these four descriptors that are laid out in this passage. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. Because these aren't just adjectives. In, in, uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, they would often attach names to people according to what they were prophesied or what they were intended to do, or even as they were, were called to accomplish something. You can see all throughout the Old Testament, sometimes people's were names were changed because they went from being this to being called this because God had put a special calling on their life. We see Abraham's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. In the New Testament, Saul's name was changed from Saul to Paul. Even Simon Peter, it went from Simon to Peter, which meant the rock. 
these names carried meaning. In our English, we see them as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But really, if you would read them in the Greek and understand them in the Aramaic that they spoke, these were like nicknames is the best way I know to describe it today. These were things that would, they would say about somebody. It was a nickname that had a meaning. Growing up, I had a real good friend. His name was Jay. Uh, and we, we were together from, uh, like, elementary school all the way to high school, college, just great friends. By middle of our college years, he got this nickname called Meat Dog. Everybody called him Meat Dog. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that it was because of this, you know, tenacity that he had and just stick to it that he would do anything. And that's not it at all. It was on a dare one time, we dared him to eat dog food, and he did. And so, like, from that day forward, he was known as Meat Dog because he ate, like, mighty meaty dog food, whatever it was. But, like, I, I still, when I call him in my phone, his name is Meat Dog. It's not Jay. It's, he's known as that. And I don't, he's a doctor now, and I don't, I don't know if it says Dr. Meat Dog on his. I would hope that it doesn't. But it was, like, this defining nickname for him that just stuck with him. And that's what these names are for the Messiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are all these names that are based on what he's going to do and what he is set apart, anointed, called Messiah to do. So let's jump in and quickly take a look at each one of these and understand the character of this Messiah. So the first one is Wonderful Counselor. It says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What, what do these two words mean? Wonderful, when you look at the root of it, it actually means this. It means a phenomenon laying outside of the realm of human explanation. Something wonderful. It causes me to wonder how this happened. It's not just something nice. It's something beyond the realm of understanding. Like, when I think about something like that, I think about how that I you know, am able to love someone. I'm able to care. Those aren't sometimes natural feelings. Those are, those are given, you know, these feelings that I have for people, the feelings of love and cherish for friends and family. That comes from something beyond. When, when I see the love of a brand new, when a child is born and the, the eyes of a parent that are like wonder, like, oh, my gosh, maybe overwhelming too, like what have, I, what have we done? But it also is like, wow, this new life. This new life, what a wonder. Something that wasn't there is now there. And so when he talks about wonderful, it's not just a good guy. It's something that we can't explain, something that brings amazement. And counselor brings to mind this idea, the term actually means like a king, someone who's incredibly wise that's giving counsel, someone you can go to for advice. So when you put these two together, this is not just, hey, someone you can go to go to for advice to get some wisdom, share their perspective on the subject. It's actually someone with complete authority and speaks with complete wisdom on every matter. Wonderful counselor means someone who speaks with authority. There's a passage later on in Isaiah who, when he continues to talk about God and the character of God, he talks about this idea of a wonderful counselor. Look at Isaiah 40, 13 and 14. It should be on the screen. It says this, talking about the Lord. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? 
Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah is basically saying, look, this wonderful counselor that's coming, there's nobody beyond wisdom of this Messiah. He carries all wisdom. He is the author of all wisdom. Messiah is the author of all wisdom. He doesn't just have some wisdom or access to some truth. He is the author of all truth. It flows out of him. Every decision he makes is correct. Every promise he makes is true. Every word he speaks is wise. He is a wonderful counselor. And when I think about that, it drives me to this thought, that when I come to a place when I don't know what to do, I can ask the one who always knows what is true. When I come to that point, when I just don't, when I face a difficult circumstance where Messiah brings hope, where Messiah brings peace, is that he gives wonderful counsel to my life. I can ask Messiah, I can ask the Lord, not just for things, but I can ask him for wisdom and for truth. He is a wonderful counselor. It's an incredible thought. You and I have access to the complete truth and wisdom that created this world. It's our goal then to ask for that wisdom and to act on that wisdom. And you know where I fall short? Often in both of those. Sometimes I fail to ask. I just act on my own and I think, I know better. I know how to handle this. I'll just do it. And I fail to ask for wisdom. But just as often as when I do ask for wisdom and I get it, I fail to act on it. I don't do what the Lord has directed me to do. Maybe I didn't like his advice. I didn't like the truth that he laid in my life. And I'm like, "Eh, you know what? That's a little more difficult than I wanted. I'm going to go a different path. And so wisdom, to, to access wisdom, we have to ask and act. So when you hit a point where it's difficult, remember to ask and then act on that wisdom. But he's not just this wonderful source of counsel. It says also that his name shall be Mighty God. He's a mighty God. What do these two words mean? The word mighty is literally translated heroic power. It is this idea of not just somebody who's strong, not just like somebody who can bench press. I mean, you know, I go to the gym often, and there's a lot of guys in there stronger than me. This is like if Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime walks into the gym where you're just everybody's like, you know, music starts playing. like oh, You know, there's this power that is just obvious. It's this heroic power is what he talks about when he says mighty. And God there is translated into the one true God. It is this heroic God, this heroic, strong God. Again, this is very different than just having a friend that you know who can help you out, a friend that can solve a few problems for you. You know, New York is a city where it's good to, to know a guy, right? It's always good to know a guy. I, I, I've told this story before. PJ, on his 16th birthday, uh, when I asked him what he wanted for a birthday, he, had, he wanted two things. He wanted a steak dinner in the city, and he wanted a new suit. And I was like, is this for a 16-year-old? Like, that's awesome. Like, that's very cool. And so I didn't want to take him, like, to the men's warehouse or something like that. I wanted to take him to this unique place, you know, get fitted for a suit, but I also didn't want to pay, like, $2,000. And so I looked up this place, and I found a place up in Astoria. And uh, 
So we went, we took the bus up to the way, way north Astoria. We're walking down the street. There are no stores anywhere. And, uh, and so I can't find the place. So I call the number. And uh, I think the place is called SRG Fashions or something like that. And when I called the number, like, they didn't even say name of the business. They were just like, hello? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm looking for a suit. And they're like, who is this? And I was like, Patrick? Like, you're not, you know? And uh, you hear them like, anybody know Patrick? And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And so they said, where are you at? And I told them what street I was on. They're like, hold on. So I hang up the phone. This little door pops open, and this lady pops out, and she's like, come on in. And I'm like, I was like, all right, PJ, we're either walking to our deaths or we're walking to this amazing experience. And so we walk in, and as we walk in, we walk into this amazing warehouse of handmade Italian suits. And for the next couple of hours, this guy takes PJ and immediately sizes him up. He walks him around, tells him how, to, how this might look on him. He tells him how to wear a suit, how to button it, when to unbutton it, how to wear the tie, what looks good. He gave my son like two hours of training on how to look great. It was an incredible experience. And when we were walking out, like, we were fast friends after that. And he's like, you got a guy in the city for suits now. Like, I, I know a guy. I've taken Jamal and Chase there. Like, it's like, am I lying? It's kind of, it's out. It's incredible. When you need a suit, I know a guy. All right? And so I tell you, because it's kind of this moment. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever you need, you don't know a guy. You know a God. You know a God who can come through for you, no matter what. He is mighty. He is heroic. He can sweep in and save the day. And that's Messiah. That's what gives us hope again. Not just that he gives us great counsel, but he comes with us and he gets involved in our lives. And he's the hero of our lives, which means he is the source of all power. This Messiah is the source of all power. And here's where it makes me think, is when I come to the place where I don't know where to turn, I turn to the God and the Lord who created it all, who made it all, the hero of the story. And you know where I fall short in this? Is I try to be the hero. I try to be the one who carries the weight of the world on my shoulders so that at the end of the day I can say, look what I did. Can I just tell you, God didn't make us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. He created us to walk with him as he carries our weight. He is the mighty God, not you, not I. The third one is this, everlasting father. It says he shall be called, his name shall be called everlasting father. These two words, everlasting and father, when you translate them, everlasting literally means throughout eternity. No beginning, no end. You can't, you can't trace the point that it started, and you can't measure the point that it will end. That's what everlasting means. And father, the word there actually means possessor or owner. It is this forever father, forever present in your life. And then, again, this is very different than somebody that just pops in occasionally and gives some support and helps out. You know, what I want you to see is this. God and this Messiah is not an absentee father. It's not somebody who just sends gifts at Christmas time or on your birthday and says, oh, yeah, hey, you know, I love you, appreciate you. It's actually somebody who's involved not just in every day of our life, 
but in the intricacies in every second of our lives. You can't remember when he wasn't, and you'll never have a time when he's not involved in your life. He, he's there. He's ever-present. Now, when I hear that, I get a little scared. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, he, he always, always there? Like he sees the good and the bad? And, and immediately when I start to think that, like shame and guilt kind of wash over me. Because I start to think of the worst of me, right? Maybe you do too. Like, you know, there's a lot of things like I don't even want to see, have Katie see about my life, much less God see. And now, like, you're telling me, like, he's always there. But I want you to think to turn that shame and that guilt around very quickly is to know this. Even though he's seen the worst of you, he's never moved one step away from you. Never. Even at your very worst. Scripture says, at our worst, God gave his best for us. And that's Messiah. He literally, he didn't see the problems of the world. God did not see the problems of the world and run away. What did he do? He saw the problems of the world and ran to it. And even showed himself more as this everlasting father. And what that means is even at my very worst, at my very best, he's there and he offers unparalleled protection in our life. He is there. This mighty God, this counselor, there is nothing that you can do in your life to make him run from you. There's nothing that he will say, you are not mine anymore. Does that mean that he doesn't discipline? It doesn't, does it mean that he doesn't correct? No, not at all. But he is there, everlasting. No beginning, no end. And this makes me think this. When I come to the point of desperation, I reach to the one that can offer me the most protection and the most help. That he is there. And where do I fall short on this one? I fall short by thinking that I'm not worthy. That God doesn't love me. I've done things that make me unlovable to God. And I don't just hear that truth, I begin to believe that truth. And I want you to, the best remedy I've learned for those two thoughts is this, is to realize that, yes, you are not worthy, and you have done things that make you unlovable. But this supernatural, everlasting Father chooses to demonstrate his love and his presence in our lives, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. It's not based on what you do, but it's based on who he is. He's not our father because of who we do, our everlasting father because of what we do. He's our everlasting father because that's what he chooses to be. The fourth one is this, and the final one is Prince of Peace. He shall be called Prince of Peace. And this word literally means somebody who comes in and removes all peace-disrupting factors. Somebody who comes in and finds a very unpeaceful situation and solves it and brings peace to it. I mean, it would be like almost opposite of what's happened this week when you, you've seen turmoil, more turmoil in the Middle East with decisions that have been made. It's somebody that could walk in literally to the most complex, most you know, difficult situation to bring peace and instantaneously bring peace to that situation. That's what Prince of Peace means. He is the dispenser of peace. 
And this is not this this is not a peace that was gained through a bloody conquest and and causing people to to kneel and and forcing people to submit to him. It came through a sacrifice, through a willingness to come to this earth to live a life and demonstrate what peace means and then willfully die for our sin and our salvation. He paid the price for peace. He did come into the most complex and difficult peace negotiation in all of eternity, which was the peace negotiation between man and God, and he instantaneously brought peace. He solved it. Nothing else has to be done. He brought peace into this world, which this means it makes him the only worthy judge. And here's what I mean by judge. It's not somebody that comes into your life and starts pointing out what's right and what's wrong. And here's, It's somebody that is the standard by which we can start to measure how wisdom is playing out in our life, how power is playing out in our life, how protection is playing out in our life, how these other things are playing out. It becomes the standard by which we mark our lives. How do we grow? Are we, are we seeking truth? Are we allowing God's power to flow through us? I can always, you and I can always experience peace when we allow Messiah to judge to be the standard of our life. Think about it. The Hebrews, when they would walk around and they would come, you know, upset or need help, and they would say to one another, Messiah is coming. Hope is coming. What if when that hope came, it shows up, and they're like, yeah, that's not enough. We need more. And we do that in our lives. We're like, this is the standard. He is the Prince of Peace. He has come and done the work of salvation. But we come up to that standard and we go, you know what? I want to change it a little bit. I want to shape it a little bit. It'd be like you or I walking into the Louvre in Paris and walking up to the Mona Lisa and saying, man, she would look really good with a mustache. And just going up and adding a piece here or there. Or, you know, what about my picture in the background? Like, I'll just sketch myself in the background. It's going up to a masterpiece and think that we that have no ability to add any value to it think that we have the right and the need to add value to that standard. Can I tell you who I often make the judge in my life besides the Messiah? It's myself. I like to be my own judge. Because you know what? I can let myself slide when I need to. Or I can call myself up. I can make myself better sometimes if I need to. But the only true judge is Messiah. My questions for you this morning are this. Have you ever experienced this child, this son, Jesus, this Messiah, in these ways? Have you embraced the peace that he offers you through his life death, and resurrection. Will you let him be the worthy judge, the worthy standard of your life? Have you ever experienced his protection? Or do you think you're not worthy? That you're not lovable enough? Have you benefited from his unparalleled power? Have you stopped trying to be the one who's in control and allow his power, the mighty God, to flow through you? Or have you grown dependent upon your wisdom instead of his wisdom. 
And would you start asking and acting on the wisdom of this wonderful counselor? I think sometimes we fall short in following Messiah because we let these four things begin to diminish in our life. Maybe you're not seeking counsel. Maybe you're not relying on power. Maybe you're not seeing him as present as a father. Maybe you're trying to be the one who brings peace and not him. The way you and I experience the true joy, peace, pleasure, and hope of following Messiah is when all four of these names are active in our life. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?